TV Talkaholics in your ear holes every month. Episode 45. Welcome. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. Hi, Matthew. Hi, David. We're about to do one of my most excited, beloved, happy place TV shows in the whole wide world ever, ever, ever. I can't believe we're finally getting to it. And I can't believe we didn't do it sooner. Wonder Woman. Can you say it without singing it? Can it be said without being sung? No, absolutely not. <laughs> it cannot be. Oh, uh, this is this is just this is like the Laverne and Shirley show. This is my childhood happy place. This show meant so so much to me when I was growing up. I I just latched onto it and I could not get enough of it. And I watched it a kabillion times over. Every time it was rerun on the UHF stations after it went off the air. I agree. It is a, it is a, a soft spot for me. But it was like I was too young to really appreciate it for what it was. And now I think I'm too old. Oh, she's... But, oh, I, I get it, though. I get it. I'm too bitter and cynical now. And <laughs> But when I was watching it as a kid, it was just this amazing woman in a colorful outfit. I had no idea the nuances of it. Oh. So I have a, I have a lot of questions for you and it did get me itching to go back to the casino. Cause as you know, when I go to the casino, the only game I play is called wonder woman wild. And um, sometimes I'll watch YouTube videos of, of people playing the game just to get my, just to get your fix. <laughs> I've sent you video of the game before. Have you played the Wonder Woman slots? Yes, you have sent me the video. No, I have not. And I have looked for it. I really haven't been to a, like a casino casino in in a long, long time. I guess on cruise ships. And I've looked for them on the cruise ships and they've had some uh, interesting ones, but never that one. The one that I imprinted with when I was in Vegas, like probably a decade or oh, it might be two decades ago now, was the Austin Powers video poker. It was mm. just it was just so happy because when you would pick how many lines you were betting, it would be Frau Farbicina. It would be Mindy Sterling screaming, one line, two lines. Yeah. And oh, made me so happy. When you are playing the Wonder Woman slot machine, when you're going to get free games, um, the screen breaks and you see Wonder Woman and you hear Wonder Woman. And then the music starts, the original music. And mm -hmm. it's just so goddamn exciting. Or like the cartoon comes across the screen and that means something good is going to happen. Like it's so fucking cool. I just mm -hmm. love it. But anyways, I, ugh, I've loved watching the videos of it. I I seek it out any a rare occasion. I'm in a casino with with like a lot of video machines. I do look for it still to this day. I'm supposed to go on a cruise a little later this year. Uh, it will be sought out 
on uh, on this cruise ship. But we are talking, dear listeners, about Wonder Woman. It's actually technically not part of the TV series. This is the pilot movie with the title, The New Original Wonder Woman, which I'm uh, not sure it's new or original, uh, but it's the pilot movie. So it ran on ABC on a Friday night, November 7th of 1975. And then it's the following year, 1976, that the series actually began. Um, this, this version is on daily motion. God bless it. It's a pretty, pretty, uh, subpar transfer. It's at a weird angle. The sound has been pitched higher. The first and last 10 minutes are missing. So dear listeners, if you are watching it on daily motion, I'm, I'm very sorry. Hopefully you have the DVDs or you have, uh, Max, HBO Max, where you can stream it on that. Though I will say on Max, it's weird. They've taken season one and split it into two weird halves. So on Max, it looks like it says it's four seasons. Yeah, it's not the one the se- the short season one in season two. That's the first season of the show. I don't know what the fuck that's about because it only ran for three seasons, and uh, I would have sworn it was longer. I was just young enough where I felt like it had been on forever. When I discovered as an adult, it was only on three years. Like, yeah, it's like Gilligan's Island. And Star Trek and all that, where you're like, no, there were more of those, weren't they? Anyway, in this version, we are setting the stage for a series that takes place during the Second World War, which is when Wonder Woman was conceived originally for the comic books. Then in the next two seasons, it switches from ABC to CBS, and they modernize it because they're like, uh, period stuff is expensive. So they modernized it. And they basically redid this entire pilot, but in 1977 instead of 1942, I think, is when this is taking place. Uh, and then the show gets pretty awful pretty quickly. It really, really does. And even as a kid, I remember going, I don't enjoy this as much as I was last year. So I don't know what happened when they stopped caring when I I really don't know. I would love to learn what was going on behind the scenes with all of that. But isn't it the best theme song ever? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is just the best. The cartoon mixed with the, um, mixed with the live action makes my heart happy. I didn't watch any other episodes. Do they all start with the story of the war for Christ's sake? No. Oh, God, no. It was like 10 minutes of like Adolf Hitler, not a good guy. No shit. <laughs> I mean, uh, but, but I was hoping that that was cut out both because all I remember is just the cartoon beginning. Uh, you, you're right. They typically didn't do the newsreel at the beginning. This is literally the pilot. It's it's mm-hmm. a movie establishing the world and what's happening. And uh, again, in the 70s, we didn't have as much information. I mean, we certainly studied the Second World War. But I mean, me, if you think of it, this is 1975. I'm seven years old. Mm-hmm. So to a seven-year-old, it's like, okay, not a bad thing to have a little recap that there are good people and bad people and Wonder Woman's fighting for the good people. Um, by the way, did you recognize the voice of the narrator of the newsreel? The guy from Bullwinkle? 
the guy from Bullwinkle, also the guy from The Haunted Mansion, and the guy from literally all the other things you can not remember in any given moment, Paul Freeze. Oh. Burger Meister Meister Burger. Yeah. Yeah, that was him. And a lot of little cameos, a lot of names in this. They kind of did pull out the stops when you look at the production values, even for 1975. You can tell this was expensive. They had to put some money into it with with the vehicles, with the costumes, and, you know, renting that terrible grainy stock footage of airplane fights. <laughs> they weren't spending it on special effects or anything. No, they were not. No. Yeah. The or, most or stunt doubles. They weren't spending the money on stunt doubles either. <laughs> But yeah, the thing with the special effects, the best, most uh, elaborate special effect that you got in this was uh, basically the the blue screen overlay of the invisible jet, the, the yeah. glass airplane. The fact that you got Sky behind her sitting down and Steve laying there, uh, that was all like, ooh, how much did they spend on this? Oh, the other thing I want to say is, before we talk about the pilot of Wonder Woman, we, we're we not going to do a big deep, deep David dive. I cannot go scene by scene with this. Even I am, I'm just fatigued over the thought of doing that. Uh, if you want a true deep dive microscopic dissection, get on your little podcatcher and get yourself over to another podcast called Satin Tights. This is three, I think possibly four guys talking about uh, the early Wonder Woman episodes. I think they've only done the Kathy Lee Crosby movie that preceded this, which was awful, by the way, where they were trying to do Kathy Lee Crosby as a different version of Wonder Woman. And she's wearing like a fucking sweatsuit. Like they don't even have her in the classic costume. And so she's walking around and everyone's like, oh my God, it's Wonder Woman. And I'm like, no, that's that's Kathy Lee Crosby going for a fucking jog. What is this shit? But anyway, um, they talk about this episode in multiple long discussions. Some of these guys are writers. One of them has interviewed Linda Carter multiple times. One of the guys was is one of the writers of the comic book that came out a few years ago of Wonder Woman meets the Bionic Woman, which is a fabulous Graphic novel, by the way. If you're a fan of those shows, it is gloriously well done. Mm. And uh, while we're uh, actually on the subject here, the other thing to talk about is that Kathy Lee Crosby version. There had also been another attempt to do a sort of comedic, super campy version of Wonder Woman based on the original Batman 66 series, like the original creators of that tried to do it. And there is a, it's not really a pilot. It's like a teaser trailer that they made. And the concept was supposed to be that the, the Diana Prince was an unattractive woman. And when she got into the Wonder Woman costume, she perceived she was beautiful. She's looking in the mirror and they have a beautiful woman in the mirror, but she's still her unattractive self. And you look at her now and you're like, she's not unattractive. This is, is this 1960s? Like, Oh, she doesn't look like Julie Newmar, so what a fucking bow-wow. Uh, so it's not successful at all. And uh, it's, Who played it's a, Wonder Woman? 
I, I, nobody, nobody that I remembered. I don't think it was anybody famous. Okay, I love that you say that because I kept thinking this was the Batman version, but I don't think everybody involved understood the assignment. Oh, I, yes. I don't think Linda Carter understood the assignment. Because she's playing this like Michael Caine in The Muppets Christmas Carol. <laughs> yes, she is. And I don't think everybody else is. Like, I, mm, there were just moments where I was like, that was hilarious. And then Linda Carter shows up doing Macbeth, and I'm like, oh. I will agree with you. This is campier than the show grew to be. The show grew to be more serious with less of a sense of humor. Um, and to call this the quote unquote Batman version, that that other one did not work. But this was written by Stanley Ralph Ross, who did work on the original Batman 66. So he clearly had a little touch of that sensibility, but I think he himself realized, okay, we gotta, we gotta nudge it a little bit further in this other direction. And, and I agree with you. The actors were definitely all kind of not on the same page and you get very, very different individual results may vary. <laughs> yeah. That's um, the truth. So true. But Matthew, once again, you have provided the perfect segue. Because Stanley Ralph Ross, we discussed earlier on The Facts of Life, season six, episode 13, he makes a surprise cameo in a bit part as one of the prison inmates in Christmas in the Big House when the girls put on the, the talent show for the, the prisoners. And just the suit, they needed a super duper tall inmate to kind of tower over Edna. And I mean, somebody must have known him. He must have been buddies with the producers or the director or whatever. But Stanley Ralph Ross is one of the connective pieces between this and the facts of life in that he acted on a facts of life. There were a couple facts of life crossovers in this. Oh, more than a couple, my love. We're going to yeah. get to that as we go. Um, so this was, while well, we're nuts and bolting here, Leonard J. Horn was the director. He has 47 directing credits in only a 14-year career. A lot of high-profile action, crime, drama shows. You can IMDB him yourself. I don't need to go into it. Other than, sadly, he died young. He died at the age of 48 in May of 1975. So he directed yeah. this. But he never got to see it, this this broadcast in November of the same year. So he never got to see this or see the success that it would go on to create. Uh, I think he got the good end of the stick, didn't he? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Six months later, I hope he at least had the, the ability to be a part of the editing process. You know, it's not like they wrapped and he dropped dead the day after. So one assumes he saw the final product, but he never got to see whatever became of this and whether it was well received or not. And that's a, that's a, that's a shame. A crying maybe that shame. was the, maybe that was the problem. Maybe he was ill and like the days he was directing, it was days that they were like, how Hitler every five seconds, which was <laughs> hilarious the way they would just throw that in. And then other days it was the AD who did not understood the assignment. And yeah. Mm -hmm. He was calling the shots because 
it it's so uneven it just drove me nuts and the funny thing is i with my adult eyes i see that 100 percent, and yet the people i don't think it's still yet been fully psychologically explored and understood how when you are a child and something imprints on you how much the love i have for this just remains perseveres and and in many ways overrides all of these flaws that are there i love this 100% every breath of my body and soul yeah and i i, I at no point was i like uh, oh when is this over when I watched it, you know. Oh, yeah. So oh, good. I'm I, glad you at least found it watchable. I I can't even trust my own judgment as far as that. I mean, again, and I apologize, dear listeners, if I am watching this through 2023 eyes. That's all I'm going to say before we jump into this acid trip, Freudian, misogynistic. <laughs> A fucking fever dream. <laughs> Misogynist girl power. Isn't it the funniest, like, split of... Yes! Isn't it amazing how you know this felt it was being a feminist anthem? And it was... There were two... That's all I will accept. There were two directors. One wow. was... One, I, we need to look up who the assistant director was. And, and because I need to find out who else was directing this. Yeah, because second one of them unit. had a sense... One of them had a sense of humor, and one of them did not. Yeah, and, yeah. Was John yeah. Waters the second unit director of ah, this? Ah, <laughs> ah, <laughs> throw, it, throw in a Heil Hitler right there, out of yeah. nowhere. It'll be hilarious. <laughs> Never not funny. Oh. oh. Okay, well, that's a, that's actually a good segue to get into. Let's talk about the unevenness of the performances um, let's kind of go down some of the, the okay, plot-wise, plot, plot synopsis, it's the origin story of Wonder Woman, and it really does, from what I understand, follow what the comic book does. It's where Steve Trevor, in a plane, fighting World War II, crashes over the Bermuda Triangle, lands on an uncharted island, it's all uh, women and Greek goddesses descended from the Greeks and mythology, you know, Zeus, Hera, Hermes, you know, Diana in, is named after, you know, Diana Artemis, the, the goddess of war and all that stuff. So, uh, and in the name of to go back and help this dude, they send back one of theirs. It's Diana, it's Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman goes back and fights and fights the Nazis and helps us towards winning World War II. It's it's just a tale as old as time, really. Uh, so I don't really feel like we need to get into the plot. We'll get into some of the the the, the littler details of it. But um, talking about the people who make appearances in this. And 1975, some sizable names, weren't they? Truly, truly. Nowadays, yeah. Show this to, to a millennial or a Gen Z. They'll be like, huh? Yeah. But yeah, Stella Stevens. Come on. Wouldn't you say she understood the assignment? Yes. I would say, yes, I'm going to give her an understood the assignment. Yes. Yes. Stella Stevens plays Steve Trevor's secretary, Marsha, whom we learn very early on is also a double agent and transmitting secrets from the U.S. government over to the Nazi bad people in Germany. 
she is definitely playing this a little more campy because she's duplicitous. She's saying things like, oh, General Blankenship, you have no idea how surprised I was when I learned Steve was still alive. And uh, the fight between her and Wonder Woman later. You mean the fight between some man in a dress and Linda Carter? (laughs) (laughs) Ah! But even that fight, like, if there's any question that we're going for something campy, we have, number one, we've got even Stella Stevens claiming to be a judo champ from her days in Germany. Even a fucking judo champ, Diana could literally crack her spine over her knees. Like, there's no question Wonder Woman is super strong. Forget the skill of the fight. Wonder Woman's strength would automatically make her the winner of this. And yet, they had to film it like a bitch fight. Like, fucking, you know, um, roller derby or something. And at one point, Wonder Woman grabs onto a chandelier over her head and then kicks Stella, or Stella's double, and kicks her back. Later, Stella tries to duplicate the same move, and the lamp comes out of the ceiling, and she just goes boom on the floor. And 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 her reaction is right on of like, what, huh, huh, what, like, what's going on here? Uh, totally, like that fight scene in and of itself. They should have filmed that first and showed it to every member of the cast and said, okay, this is what we're going for. Anyway. I thought Stella Stevens was wonderful. Remember we discussed her in Twirl. She was Lisa Welchel's mother in Twirl. And because- Oh, God damn it. I didn't look up her IMDb because I was like, I, I'd never seen her before. But I knew I'd seen her before. But she, I, I think she just died recently, didn't she? I would if I were her. <laughs> yeah, I just looked it up. She died February of last year. So she recently, as in within the last 12 months. Yeah. So, yeah, but she's one of those who had a lot of credits in the littler popular movies. But, yeah, I had never seen her before Twirl. So she was even lost on me. So I didn't appreciate who she was at the time. She was kind of an EJ peaker, I think. She was kind of a, like a, just like, like born too late. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. many she... episodes of Love American style, but never a series of her own. Yeah, she's like a Barbara Eden kind of to me. Like she should yeah. have probably been more famous than she actually was. Yeah, but she made a very good living and had enough fame that she always worked. She had a great career, truly. Um, also in a significant role, uh, Kenneth Mars. God damn it. Can we just call him German von Bonbon? He gets, he gets the award in this episode for absolutely understanding the assignment. I'm sorry. Every scene he was in made me laugh. (laughs) He's just this prissy Nazi. He's just so... (laughs) Oh, it killed me every time. And that guy blocking the view of his screen. What is so amazing about this performance Uh, is he outwardly seems to be playing it straight. That's the thing. There is no wink about him. And yet it's just right on that line. Having just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the movie. What's up doc. 
And in What's Up, Doc, he yes. plays a ridiculous over-the-top character with this untraceable accent that does have a lot of German in it. So to see him after that, after, you know, he's in Young Frankenstein, he's the, the cop, which is another German role, a German cop. So we've seen him play over-the-top, hampy, foreign things. Well, so and he's to, in The Producers. And Oh, that's right. He's Franz in The Producers, of course. For with God's our close sake. personal friend, Diana Eden. And it's, oh, God damn it. This, this, that, that accent. Yes. It was just but he even... plays it with this, there is these very strange reasons that they Americans are finding out what is going on. There must be some sort of leak coming out of this office, which he is saying to his assistant, who is clearly the one playing the comedy of this, because he's paired up with, let, let's go with it, Henry Gibson. Henry Gibson from Laugh-In. He is the comedic foil in this, and he is playing the comedy. He's playing Igor to Kenneth Mars's uh, Dr. Frankenstein here. They are so magnificent together, these two veteran comedic performers. And, and I agree with you. Kenneth Mars is, is perfection because he's theoretically playing it straight, but there's something just subliminally off about it. And uh, just just wonderful. Those scenes were great. And, and uh, we've talked about him before because remember Kenneth Mars, another connection to the facts of life. He was the brief headmaster before we brought in Mr. Parker. And he was the one that had the toupee in the gossip episode. I think it was season two. Yes. And the gossip was about him and his toupee, which Kenneth Mars does not wear a toupee and did not in this episode. And uh, and again, it was a weird role for him to take this bit part on the facts of life. And then later to an entire generation, he would be immortalized very against type as the voice of Triton in the original animated Little Mermaid. I didn't know that. You didn't know he's the voice of Triton? No. Holy shit. His stickiest of his work, the most popular, were the comedies, were the What's Up Docs and the Mel Brookses. So I think we always perceive him as being a little more of a of a campy comedic actor, but he is just perfection in this. I'm sorry, I still found him real campy in this. But I'm saying compared to the other stuff we've seen him do, I mean, this is not Franz from the producers. It wasn't. You don't think so? No, I think it absolutely was. I think he knew exactly what he was. That whole scene where the where Igor keeps blocking <laughs> his view. And he would just stop and look like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> then, oh, my God. And it just kept happening. I, I died when that. I'm sorry. That was probably my favorite scene in the whole show. Right, no, it wasn't. But, I have other uh, notes, but. But, but, but no, I, I agree with you. It was brilliant and it was funny. But to me, in that duo, Kenneth Mars was playing the straight man and brilliantly so. To Henry Gibson's quote unquote funny guy, we're used to seeing Kenneth Mars as the funny guy. That's what I'm saying is he's on the other side of it and he's doing it deftly and perfectly without losing any of the comedy. He learned from Mel Brooks that the only way to approach Nazis is to make them funny and to make them laughable. And I think he brought that to this scene anyway, but 
Yeah. We're not I, I really think... we're not really disagreeing. I'm I'm thinking we're just we're we're having different perceptions of the great success of this performance. All right. Speaking of other performances, ladies and gentlemen, the wonderful John Randolph. John Randolph as General Blankenship. Also from the Facts of Life. Yes. Um, the episode where Joe becomes the regent. Um, mm-hmm. But the one thing I I remember him from as Roseanne's dad. Yes. That's the one thing I knew him from. I looked at his whole IMDb and I was like, why do I know him? Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah. And did you notice an IMDb? His name was like Murray Klein or something like a yeah. super, super Jewish name that yeah. went to John Randolph. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Veteran actor. And sadly, he doesn't continue on. He doesn't play General Blankenship in any of the subsequent episodes. The role is taken over by Richard Eastham. And you and I talked about Richard Eastham because he's in the movie, There's No Business Like Show Business, which we talked about on the Lions, Towers, and Shields podcast with the wonderful Shelley Brisbane. Who did he play in There's No Business Like Show Business? He was Lucasell. The, uh, I this dress is not the right dress for me. I have to make a real impact. The the manager producer dude that yeah. there's the question is Marilyn fucking him, which is making Donald O'Connor jealous. Yeah, got it. Yeah, remember I talked about I couldn't believe how tall he was in that movie, forgetting that he's acting against Linda Carter and Lyle Wagner. Linda Carter is six foot tall. Lyle Wagner is six foot three. Of course, he looks like a goddamn shrimp on this show. Yeah. And then to continue the Facts of Life connections, in seasons two and three, when they modernize the story, they use Lyle Wagoner. They say Lyle Wagoner is Steve Trevor Jr. He just happens to be identical to his father. But no other characters remain. Their boss at the government agency they work for is played by Norman Burton, a.k.a. Natalie's father on the Facts of Life. Mm. So that's not this show connection, but it is a Wonder Woman connection to the facts of life. And then uh, we've got Red Buttons. Red Buttons in the role of Ashley Norman. Dogs, dwarves, and daredevils. Jesus Christ. Red Buttons plays this, I'm pretty sure, written for this movie. I don't think this happened in the original comics. But discovering that this world requires money and Diana doesn't have any of it and knows she's going to need it, this... Uh, somewhat shyster of a theatrical agent approaches her after he sees her thwarting a bank robbery and deflecting bullets with her feminine bracelets. So he's like, I want to put you on the stage. We'll make a ton of money. And she's like, well, I know I need this money thing everyone's talking about. So she goes with him. But later, what do we find out about him, Matthew? He's a double agent, David. Another Nazi spy. Ending every phone call with a little Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) So he also is playing the campy, but I mean, his character is written to be that type. He's written to be a, a, you know, a snake oil salesman and, and he's, he's marvelous, perfectly cast. Oh, and speaking of the bank robbery, when she's outside thwarting the bullets, <laughs> did you notice when the cops showed up and the bank manager said, these men robbed the bank and this woman in the bathing suit stopped them? Did you recognize the bank manager? 
Of course, he looked exactly the way he did when he was on Facts of Life 10 years later. And he looked exactly like he did in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers 20 years earlier. That fucking dude. Ian Wolf, Mr. Lazzaroni. Woohoo! We love Mr. Lazzaroni. So he is there just literally one. He was on the set for one day. He has two lines, but I will post a screen grab. He's standing there right next to Linda fucking Carter. That, you know, went into his scrapbook. Oh, he was. I'm sure she was lovely. Yeah. And then in a very teeny tiny, speaking of two line roles, did you notice the cab driver? Of course I did, David. How could you not recognize the wonderful Anne Ramsey, for Christ's sake? Yes. I mean, I get it, but how did that woman show up at a, the... Was she batshit crazy or what? Like, I'm sure she was lovely, but is she just like, how did that woman show up at auditions? I mean, talk she, about a face for radio. Jesus. God love her. Yeah. In the first... When I went back... To look at it and say, wait a minute, is that? And I went back, the first time we we see her, it's a point of view shot from the backseat of the cab, and it's her looking back over her shoulder, reacting to the truck in the road, and she turns on and says, oh, trouble. And her hair's pulled back in a ponytail, so you can't see that she's got longer hair. She looks like a dude. Looks like a, when she gets out of the cab and you suddenly go, oh, wait a minute, that's a woman. And then the, the guys pull the guns and she's like, I'm fucking out of here and heels off. And it's like, yep, I would do the same, Ann Ramsey. <laughs> I would love to know the casting of that. Like, again, was the casting director in on the joke? You know who are going to make the cab driver, Ann Ramsey? Yeah. Or were, was it like they were like, it doesn't have to be a man in 1942. No, it doesn't have all. to be a man driving a, <laughs> driving a cab, but it should be a, a tough woman. That's driving the cat. Let's get Anne Ramsey. A sturdy woman. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And I mean, she wasn't at all famous at this point. I think she had previously only, what? No, this is 75. So what year was The Boy in the Plastic Bubble with John Travolta? That was a couple (laughs) years later, I think. Why why don't I know that? Yeah. Why don't you know? Right off the top of my head. (laughs) Stacy, where's our researcher? Stacy! But she was the nurse in this little role. Again, another little role where you're like, wait, is that Anne Ramsey? She was the nurse on The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. Uh, so anyway, um, continuing this cavalcade, talking about the people. Um, another surprise, Fanny Flagg. As sort of one of the right arm people to Queen, the, the Queen. She's never called Queen Hippolyta, though that is her name. Uh, she's one of the right arms to the queen, Fanny Flagg from Candid Camera. I I love that you say, what a surprise that Fanny fucking Flagg might be involved in an island of Glamazon women. <laughs> For those that don't know, infamous wig puncher in Hollywood. <laughs> Fanny Flagg, who at this point had been on Candid Camera and was a staple on Match Game and all the game shows, a funny funny woman great at improvising what an interesting straight (laughs) straight role for her to play in this but i wrote down in my notes her agent said do you want to do a tv movie where you're on a desert island with nothing but women and she said yep i'm in yep 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 yep, do you want to know what the movie is or what it's about nope 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 get me on that fucking island 
Nope. <laughs> don't, don't even care what they're paying. Yeah. I will pay them. Yep. Um, especially when one of the women on the island, allegedly, I couldn't find her. I didn't actually look for her, but I later found out, I guess Priscilla Barnes was one of the extras. <laughs> anyway, Fanny Flagg, uh, wonderful. And again, a very uh, straight role requiring nothing of the camp. Um, trying to see if there's any other people we want to talk about before we get to the real piece de resistance. We have the real, true reason why we are here. Boris mm. fucking Leachman as the queen, as Linda Carter's mother, the head of the island. We learn the woman who came to the island and created this paradise away from men after women had been slaves for so many centuries at the hands of the Romans and the Greeks. Let's, let's talk about a campy fucking performance that i i mean t hits it out of the park it is so fucking weird but i think i think this is just my thinking as we were talking about how um german von bonbon his scenes <laughs> were german von bon <laughs> his scenes were very to me and I think he was directed by the original director that got the joke. I think Cloris got the joke, but was directed by the guy who didn't get the joke. John Waters. <laughs> yeah. No, like the second direct. You know what I mean? I, I, or the I'm other trying, way. Yeah. I'm yeah. trying to say she was told, stop being ridiculous. But she still got some in there. Maybe. But I, I didn't feel like. I didn't feel like she was given full free reign to be Cloris Leachman. Oh, jeez! I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I'm. I would be afraid if she thought that it was would be appropriate to go even further with it. But I mean, she's always caressing things. She's caressing a curtain. That fucking harp. She's on the. She's got her hands on the harp. And at one point they talk about they can't have a man. We we can't have a man on Paradise Island. Why the male species? And at one point she bites her fist. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, oh man. <laughs> and it, how she does that. And there's a line where like it's 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 a butumch type of a joke where she says, I created this world so that we could live in a world of peace and love and harmony. Leave us to Fanny Flagg, dismissing her <laughs> kind of angrily. And then Fanny Flagg, without flinching, is like, mm -hmm, yes, yeah, yes, yes, my queen. Off she goes. And then Cloris says, and let me let me know if there's any change in, in the soldier's condition. It, it, but just uh, playing her so kooky. It's so weird. And I just don't know if you remember that. This, like General Blankenship, she never plays the queen again. The queen is then taken over by Carolyn Jones, better known as Morticia Adams. And right. she does a much more straightforward, regal, maternal leader type. And uh, yeah, the sh again, the tone of the show turned more serious. The campy stuff in this are the things that really jump out at you. And Cloris's performance, good God, 
Things like when Diana is first wearing the Wonder Woman outfit, the costume. And she's saying it's made of indestructible material. And the skirt is, of course, uh, removable if it becomes cumbersome, which is a nod to the comics because it was a skirt originally. So Diana takes off the skirt and she's like, it's just wonderful, mother. And just the way Clara says, yes, I designed it myself. <laughs> just <laughs> Which kills me that the, the costume is indestructible, but she can only block bullets with her bracelets. Okay. Yeah. If it's indestructible, let them hit you wherever the fuck. Anyway. Uh, yeah. It's it's very, very weird. And God bless. I just, uh, she's in it only at the beginning. Because the first half of the movie is the quote-unquote origin story. And it's the, the competition uh, of, the, the deal is we're going to send one of our girls back with this wounded soldier. And... And so Diana's like, fuck yeah, I want to do it. And Cloris is, of course, like, you're my daughter. You're the princess. You don't do this shit. She says, we'll have this competition. Diana disguises herself. Now, where they find a blonde wig on a deserted island. I mean, wouldn't have been funny if it was like, you know, corn husks and like leaves and shit on her head. (laughs) I don't want to sound vulgar, David. I don't want to be vulgar. But, like, it's like this is a show that men could really enjoy. Like, he lands on the island. I go, here we go. A land of gorgeous giant women who run around in their 90s. Okay. Here we go. Let's get them running on the beach. The most beautiful woman on the planet, Linda Carter, is just running around on the beach. And that tournament scene. Is a fucking Freudian acid trip of misogyny. (laughs) It's it's them playing archery, hitting the old bullseye, David. Yep, if you know what I'm talking about. It's them throwing a javelin. Oh, look, she can handle a big pole. Lots of things with balls. (laughs) Lots of things with balls. Shot put, yes, yes, that's all in there. Them (laughs) Them throwing big rocks around and stuff, and that is like a fetish that men have like strong women that's why like a lot of dominatrixes will tell you most of my clients are really successful businessmen that just want to be told that they're bad boys and have a woman slap them around a little bit Mm. but i love that in that tournament scene it's been the olympics and the only way to decide it is by trying to shoot each other in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, number one, where do they get the guns? Where do they, if this is, a, a, you know, a, a deserted island, if they, it's like, wh- what is the import export resource supply chain here as far and as men are savages? So men are savages. That's why so we're let's here. shoot each other in the face. Let's yeah. Shoot each other in the face. Cause I kept thinking, like, that's fine. But so, like, I get it. Sudden death. Wink, wink. But like. Well, and shooting in the face. Wink, wink. But I mean, like, what would happen if she missed one? We've got a bigger problem on our hand than a guy (laughs) on the on the. This woman has just had her face shot off. (laughs) She she gets her arm. Her arm gets grazed by a bullet. I'm sure they have an. She's fine. They got a tree that can give off some aspirin like. You know, don't worry. Fanny Flag will take care of that gash. Oh, oh, God, David. 
Oh my God. Well, let's uh, this this kind of is a full circle moment where I want to talk about the music a little bit more. So Charles Fox, who wrote also the Laverne and Shirley theme, he wrote the Love Boat theme. This is the best theme song ever, but he also did all of the music for this, the interstitial music. And as the series progresses, it's it's operatic where everything has a light motif. Whenever we see the outside of the war department, it's always this do 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 And whenever Wonder Woman appears, of course, dum bum ba dum ba dum bum 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 ba And uh, Paradise Island, always this that plays in every episode. But I want to po- touch upon, uh, I found a YouTube video with just the soundtrack. So it's just the top quality soundtrack without all the Foley work and all the sound effects. Hmm. Point in the competition where the fucking drum kicks in and they start rocking out. This is the anthem hmm. of my childhood, Matthew. I want you to hear this. And then it goes back to the, but that one little passage is like, Jesus, that's like John Williams level shit. It's, it's all very epic. I mean, it's, you know, and of course they didn't do synthesizers in those days. That was there. But the fact that it just, for some reason decides to rock out with that baseline, dum, 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 dum. I love that so fucking much it makes me happy at the core of my soul can we talk about lyle wagner i can't believe we haven't yet lyle wagner on the examination table shirtless good god he is just so fuckable i don't get it david you don't think lyle wagner do I think he's handsome? Yes, absolutely. Yes. 100%. I don't I don't get moist. David, and I'm not afraid to say it. I don't get moist when I see him the way you do. Oh. And that's that's okay. It's oh. okay, David. I, I wish you, you could see him the way have, I see him. I know. I get it. But I yeah. I just he's I don't know what it is. Do you not like his performance? Do you not like the way he is as an actor? Like, did he understand the assignment? That's what I kept asking myself as I watched this. Did they understand the assignment? And from this episode, I don't know if he did or not. Yeah. Uh, Similarly to Linda Carter. And can we just say, God, how fucking gorgeous she is. How much the camera loves her. That's what I'm convinced about Wonder Woman. And I've said this before. I think they were at auditions. They were like, we just haven't found her. And then Linda walked in in the costume and they were like, you're hired. (laughs) Yeah. 
like she didn't have to read for it. Mm-hmm. She just walked in looking like that. And they were like, yep, yep, you're, yep, we found her. Everybody, we start tomorrow, Linda. Yeah. Um, and because God love her, she's not, she's not an actress. David. Well, she's actually not as good here. She does, she vastly improves as the series goes on. Even even as a kid, I remember when the reruns would come back around and and this would be on, I'd be like, ooh, she's she's still finding her way here. Um yeah, no, no, I promise you she does get better. How much better, you might argue with me. I don't know. Because also the show does, for better or for worse, become more serious, but more importantly, it becomes more even and cohesive. So, you know, with that, she kind of fits in better. Steve fits in better. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, like there's a scene where she goes walking through the town in this. Yeah. And and obviously the extras were directed to look at her, but these men can't control themselves. Like she's so she's otherworldly walking by in that costume. And you can tell the extras, if you watch the scene where she walks through the town, you can tell the extras that are boob men and are butt men or, <laughs> or leg men because the different angles their eyes meet her is, is you watch every single extra that walks by her. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell what they look at immediately. Yeah. <laughs> And I love, you know, I'm, I always need things to be at the least addressed or justified uh, or whatever, you know, that I love the fact that on more than one occasion, the, they say the woman in the bathing suit, that they refer to it as a bathing suit. Yeah. I'm very happy for that because, you know, in the forties that, that was scandalous. Like, you know, you didn't see a woman in that little clothing even at the local watering hole, like that was Hollywood bathing beauty, Busby yeah. Berkeley level thing. I I wrote that down when she gets there. First of all, it's 1942. Women don't even wear pants in public. This bitch <laughs> is walking around titties akimbo, and <laughs> and she's not in the country or in this world for 20 minutes, and she's already getting a dude jumping out of car yelling at her to make him some money. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> That should be the name of your memoir. Tits Akimbo. What's what's next? What else is on your... Uh... There's quite a bit of, again, misogyny and propaganda. I'm going to say it. Propaganda, David. Okay. Expound, please. Keep talking. She says things. Now, think of this. This is 1975. We're kind... We're basically out of Vietnam and um, we've been out of World War II for 30 minutes so or 30 years she says to the camera they steal money I have to fill out forms what what a country Mm. (laughs) oh that speaks to the male middle-aged man watching the show this is of the good old days yeah when women knew their place yeah. And the guy says, he says to her, a steak dinner costs a dollar. 
making again the straight men remember oh the good old days yeah when when you could get a steak dinner for a dollar and stella stevens says she was unfemininely forceful Mm. in a conversation and i was like oh there's so much propaganda in this but then to end it with that whole feminist speech about sisterhood and shit who was that for yeah (laughs) like you are so right that there is definitely uh the conflict between uh the material and the treatment of the material (laughs) about the purpose and the execution of the purpose wonder woman is supposed to be a pretty feminist kind of girl power thing and yet, at the same time, she's this giant, strong, big old bitty woman, mm-hmm. which is which is still something that happens in in graphic novels. Oh God, yeah, more so. so. It's yeah. just, it's just. Again, I wondered, were they in on the joke? I, I, I think this would have benefited from being more of a, like at the end, he says he hired this new. This new um oh oh yeah, the new secretary. Since, the new secretary. Yeah. She she didn't do well on the on the test, but she's butt fucking ugly. So yeah. you can and then we walk in and it's Linda Carter yeah. in glasses. Yeah. Steve says to General Blankenship, from now on, I don't want to have an attractive secretary. I've had it up to here with pretty girls. And General Blankenship, this is from the movie, says, Well, this one is duller than a fat lap dog after dinner. A fat lap <laughs> dog after dinner, David. <laughs> Aren't ugly women funny? Thank God they exist so we can get things done. And it's fucking Linda Carter in in glasses with her hair in a bun. It's like that cannot dim her beauty. <laughs> Sorry, guys, it ain't yeah. working. Yeah. You know? And they do it later. The one, you know, the the, the 1970s stereotype of the woman having to go undercover at a beauty pageant that every single cop show, policewoman, Charlie's Angels did. They do it too. And Diana says, well, I'd be willing to try. And Steve actually says to her, thank you, Diana. But I think we really need to try to find someone really glamorous and pretty for this. Says it to her face. You hag. I know. (laughs) Wearing a 1940s outfit that fits. I mean, she's wearing, she's, they're not trying to mask her figure. You can see through that outfit that she has got this killer athletic bod. Good Lord. And you're so right. The thing that I think that they thought they were making a feminist girl power thing. When she, uh, first of all, when she maneuvers the invisible jet on top of Kenneth Mars's fighter plane, and somehow jumps down into his plane from hers while it's on autopilot, I guess. <laughs> he turns around and is just like, who the fuck are you? I will blow your goddamn tits off. And her line is, you obviously have little regard for women. You must learn respect. And she punches him, knocks him clean out. Because cold cocks him, unconscious. Yeah. And lines like that, when she says to... Uh, after her fight with Stella Stevens, women are the wave of the future. Our yeah. sisterhood is stronger than anything. 
And and where is it that she, I know in the end, the final, final scene, he says, you're very perceptive, Yeoman Prince. She says, I'm a woman. Where I was brought up, women were regarded with women's opinions mattered and things like that, you know? And then he says, I think we're going to get along just fine. So there are all these, can you think of, there's another moment in there somewhere where she says, any society that doesn't value women is destined to fail? Yeah, she says that to General German von Bonbon. <laughs> After so, she sees him in the plane, we see those close-ups of him on the plane. He looks like a Muppet, David. <laughs> he's he's like a Muppet, just hitting switches and just, <laughs> just pushing buttons. So you're and saying Charles Nelson Riley could have played this in... Would have been goddamn brilliant. <laughs> So, yeah, I think they thought they were making a girl power movie, that it would appeal to that. But then, what at the beginning of the movie, like you said, Steve washes up on the beach. He's wrapped up in his parachute. So the girls are like, what the fuck is that? I don't know. Let's get a closer look. They, other than, like, slow motion, which they did not do. But we get the music, and we get them running along the shore in their neg negligee. It's like a Baywatch moment of just them running and the titties bouncing. And yeah, that stuff is there completely for the male gaze. All and of the Paradise Island, all of the this perfect society of women without men is photographed in a way so that men watching it will be like, <laughs> gross. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I don't even think it was purposeful i think it was just the way it was exactly that's what i'm saying they thought they were making a girl power movie filmed everything the way they thought it should be filmed without thinking about that yeah yeah no no we're you hit the nail on the head that they did not think twice about that what woman wouldn't love to run down the beach in her negligee look how lovely this must look for them mm -hmm. i know i and would <laughs> Like, it's all women. Why are they wearing clothes anyway? Exactly. Why don't they have their, their beavers out? And Yeah. That would have been fun to shoot the bullets. Bullets and beavers as opposed to bullets and bracelets. That's the porn version. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody looked that up on Pornhub. I'll bet you it exists. Stacy, look that up on Pornhub. What, what else? Um... I don't know, Matthew. I, I I could go on and on and talk really about the whole series and that and 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 thus and stuff related to it for hours and hours and hours. But I feel like we're at a good sort of uh, a stopping point regarding this particular episode. So, what are your what are your final thoughts? And uh, let's give it some talkaholic chips. Okay. 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 I have for those that are still listening. An idea for a Wonder Woman drinking game. You're welcome. Oh. Okay, what's the Wonder Woman drinking game? <clears throat> you should take a drink every time they show a picture of FDR in the background. Oh. <laughs> every other scene, it was like a joke. How many pictures of FDR can we get in here? When Gotta Steve remind. is dead. And General Blankenship and uh, Marsha are giving a eulogy and having a drink to him in his office. It's like, okay, I guess he's not getting a funeral, a, a soldier's hero's funeral. But yeah. it cuts to the shot of his empty chair 
And there's FDR. You're right. FDR's all over this shit. Every time you think someone gets the joke, you should take a drink. Mm. Yeah, because that's that is sporadic. It is not. You won't be shit faced ten minutes in, but you'll you'll be feeling a good buzz by about the halfway point. Every time a stunt double is so obvious. Oh my god! You should take a drink. That stunt double for red buttons. Yeah. <laughs> looked looked like a sixteen year old boy, <laughs> and it made me laugh every time they cut back to it. Do not drink every time Linda Carter tries to act. Yeah, yeah, and you you'll be no. drunk by the time the 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 theme song is over. Yeah, it's yeah. She, I promise you, she does get better. If you're if you're looking at this, going, what the fuck was the hype? Was it just the poster and just the beauty and the body and stuff? It's like, no, no, no. She she does have a, a future. She does come into her own certainly within the just that first season alone she already is so much better by the end of it and we haven't even talked about end of the first season when we get wonderful deborah winger in her uh. first major role as wonder girl drusilla diana's younger sister whom we do not see anywhere in this version of paradise island she just magically appears later the scrappy do of <laughs> of Wonder Woman. <laughs> Perfect. How many talkaholic chips? Oh, five. Of course. Wonder it's Wonder Woman. Five. Solid five. Rock solid five. I don't know how or why somebody decided that her spinning around was going to get her into the costume. They never really explained that, but Oh, I can explain that, Matthew. That was Linda Carter's idea. They literally did not know how they were going to do the transformation. And in the comic book, it was the magic lasso, which, by the way, she leaves tied uh, to Marsha. It's like, okay, I'm going to go off now and catch the other bad guys at your apartment. Just fucking leaves her lasso there with Stella Stevens. It's like, what? Girl, those don't grow on trees. In the original comic book, it's the magic lasso would spin around her and somehow magically weave her clothes. Like she would step through the lasso and you'd see Diana on one side and yeah. Wonder Woman on the other. So they were like, we don't know how to do that, whatever. So Linda Carter, who was a dancer, was like, maybe I could just kind of spin. And then he was like, oh, yeah. And I could just do a dissolve. Yeah, that's it. So for this in the next two episodes, it's just this clumsy spin and dissolve but then after that is when they come up with no let's have the big explosion of light happen that makes the transformation and that's what makes my heart happy there are videos on youtube of every single one yeah all edited together in one video one video per season i could watch them for hours and i'm not ashamed to admit i fucking have yeah it's what happens yeah. when, you, when you get free games. The screen blows up and she spins and you hear dun 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 And that is exactly what I do when that happens, David. I'm sitting there like you can't not, man. It's in our DNA. Well, sounds like we have wrapped up another TV talkaholics. 
We have not decided what's going to be happening next month. We will see. You will see. And uh, you will find out as soon as we know what the fuck it's going to be. Until then, Matthew, always a joy and a pleasure. Isn't it? Thank you so much. We appreciate you listening. Smooches and goodbye. Mwah! Bye, David. Bye, Matthew. You're a wonder, wonder woman. We'll make you happy. Come and knock on our door. Come and knock on our door. Where we're moving on. Compromising, enterprising, anything but tranquilizing. Here's the story. You take the